Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Seed Show Bulls Show. I'm Will, your host today, at Will underscore Gottlieb on Twitter machine, whatever you want to call it. I'm joined by my good friend, my good mate, Down Under in Australia on a Saturday morning, MK. MK Hoops on Twitter. Mark, how you doing today? William, I'm okay. I'm okay. Doing well, hanging in there, living life, loving life, somewhat. Uh, but Bulls basketball, it's back. To- I was about to ask if I sense any sarcasm there until you dropped the somewhat. So hopefully, hopefully it's all good. Uh, yeah, it's in fine. your neck of the woods. Good. All good, mate. Let's talk. Well, you, can't be, you can't be that bad because, yeah, we've got some some real basketball games to talk about. And when I say real basketball mm. games, I mean real preseason basketball. And I think that that should be the one time we caveat this. Let's just do a blanket caveat for the whole show. It's preseason basketball. Not everybody's playing. The starters aren't playing the whole games. The, uh, the first game, obviously, Giannis Dame and Chris Middleton didn't play at all. Last night in the Bulls' win against the Nuggets in double overtime, which, by the way, should not exist in preseason. Give me sudden death uh, or a tie, even. Um, the starters played, but then we had like almost 40 minutes of, of non-starter basketball. So blanket caveat, it's preseason. None of this stuff actually matters. We'll say that one time the show, and we'll see if we can stick to it. But... There is basketball to talk about. And Mark, we have not heard from you since uh, since the first tip. So I'm curious to hear uh, hear your thoughts and, and start to dig into some of this stuff. Um, but I guess before we get into any of the details, and, and we will get into many of them, as you might be able to guess, uh, any overarching thoughts about what you've seen so far? Um, anything you want to bring up to make sure we hit on? Any things that have disgusted you so far that have left you uh, annoyed or disappointed or frustrated. The floor is yours, my friend. I don't know why you would infer such a thing, William. I'm a, I am a bull's optimist. See red baby all day. But uh, no, I think, I feel like you're kind of speaking to me when you were saying <laughs> the ultimate caveat being that it's preseason basketball. And, no, everybody, and everybody needs to know this. And everybody's been saying it too. Like every tweet I look at is, I know it's just preseason, but like, let's yeah, just, yeah. let's just call it space fit. Well, I, th- I think why this is so, I mean, it's relevant every single time, but why it matters more now, I guess, for this specific iteration of the team going into year three, third time's a charm, all that sort of stuff because they're trying to fundamentally shift who they've been whilst not necessarily shifting their personnel. I'm always couching with everything I see or what I've seen through two preseason games of, okay, that looked cool, but then is this real both from what the bulls are doing, but then the way opponents are applying, you know, their defensive pressure as an example, or the way they're doing certain things from a, you mentioned like the box game one, like the fact that they didn't have their three best guys out there, like, how do you pass all this information that we're absorbing from through or through two preseason games? Like what's real, what's not? Maybe some of it is partly real. Maybe some of it can be transferable. Maybe some of it can't. Like just trying to understand what we can take away from these two preseason, two preseason games has been the fun of it for me at least. Like just trying to understand. Like there's been the thing that I've really enjoyed that I've liked from the first couple of games is the emphasis to really get in transition and to really increase that. Now in game one, that was just, I mean, they were manic from that standpoint. I think they had 21, uh, 21 fast break points in game one against the Bucks. 
which was awesome to see and which was why they had such good offensive flow in that first quarter with the starters. But then coming back to the point that I just made, like it's easy to get in transition offense when you're getting stops against the boxers C team. But can you replicate that sort of transition basketball against real offense or when you're guarding a real offense who's probably more likely to actually score the ball? And if they do score the ball, then you have more dead ball scenarios. So are you actually getting into transition? And there was a possession last night where uh, Zach and DeMar had a fantastic you know, off-ball communication to the point where they're uh, on, on defense, to the point where the Nuggets couldn't get into the, the set that they wanted to. So they ended up just launching a you know, a contested three, Zach grabs the rebound, immediately kicks it out to DeMar, like almost a half-court pass, and they score in transition immediately. Now, that was really good, one, because the, the defense was on point. But two, I'm like, again, in my head, I'm thinking, are the Nuggets' transition defense going to be this bad in the regular season, or is this just them sort of just coasting through a preseason game, meaning you're able to get into transition in the way they did? So... I guess that's my ultimate takeaway from the last couple of games is like there's been things that I've really liked and enjoyed seeing, but I'm just trying to wonder how real it is, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's a fair statement. It's a fair question to be asking yourself. But for me, and um, well, I guess I'll start with how I feel about it, and then I'll get to what Billy has said about it because uh, I've asked him a couple of times as well. But for me, it's like, yes, you want to see stuff work the way that they have been talking about it and like especially the the wholesale changes that they're trying to make to the offense right like mm -hmm. are they using movement are they setting off ball screens to get into their actions that's something that i think you can look at and say yeah maybe they're not playing against the best players on the other team but like they're doing the right thing that they need to be doing in order to get the ball where they want it to go and i think that's an example of like the process being what you want it to be in these games. Is the result going to matter? Uh, whether the ball goes in, whether the Bulls win the game or not? No, I don't really think so. It's more about like, how are you getting these looks? How are you executing your schemes? And how do those schemes look different from what you what they ran last year and relative to how you want them to look this year? So I think it's more about the process. And um, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. But uh, I, I do think that there is some predictive power when it comes to looking at preseason uh, and, and translating that into uh, regular season. I've seen a lot of work done on that. Stefano did an article last year, which was really good. That kind of had some indication. Now, of course, that's not like a given. The Bulls went 3-1 and one last year in preseason and obviously missed the playoffs. Um, but they went 4-0 the year before, and they looked dominant. So I think there's yeah. some value in it. Um, mm -hmm. I asked, so this is what I asked Billy, and it's actually a great quote that I'm planning to use for a story, uh, probably after the preseason, but I'll just tip my, tip my hand a little bit here. I asked him like, is there any predictive power when it comes to like preseason results translated to the regular season? He was like, it doesn't matter much at all. It doesn't mean much about anything. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a pretty good quote. Uh, does not, does not matter all that. I don't think that's entirely right. I don't think the data fully backs that, but for me, it's more about what does the process look like and less about does the ball go in or how does it look against certain defenders? Um, so we'll get into all this, I think, through the lens of the, the handful of things that the Bulls want to do better. And those things are three-pointers, shooting more threes, free throw attempts, free throw attempt rate, paint touches, meaning shots at the rim, 
uh, getting into the lane and spraying out. And then that can lead obviously to free throws and threes as well. And then offensive rebounding. So those are the ones that the Bulls have talked about all training camp, all preseason so far. It's the stuff that they want to work on. And in some ways, the stuff that they've gotten better at, in some ways, maybe not so much. So we're going to dive into all of that. Um, and I think the, the place to start is just looking at it from, uh, you know, how, how did it look last year compared to, for example, how did it look last night? So um, Braggs, if you wouldn't mind throwing up the graphic, um, first, let's look at the one from uh, how they did last year in each of those categories where, you know, th there were some problem areas. Uh, thank you, Braggs. Um, so problem areas that I noted this before the game yesterday, and I, honestly, I didn't even really mean for it to be like a critical thing, although I got some funny remarks on this tweet. Um, but Bulls, last year, 29th in three-point attempt rate, 20th in free throw attempt rate, 28th in offensive rebounding rate, 27th in drives per game, 28th in paint touches per game, 21st in transition frequency, 28th in cutting frequency, and 24th in off-screen frequency. So bottom 10, if they're lucky, bottom five uh, for the most part, and bottom two or three for the vast majority of these key things. And you might be asking like, well, what else is there? There's other stuff that obviously the Bulls did really well. They're a very efficient shooting team. They defended well, they got to the rim, um, or they finished well at the rim and actually got there at like a league average number. So there's stuff that they do well, but I think those are the indicators that I'm gonna be looking for that basically say we're doing a good job at the stuff that we want to do a good job at. Um, any takes on that stuff, Mark? No, I think, and, and you're right to point them out, but because that's what the team themselves have emphasized over the offseason in terms of things that they want to address, both in free agency, but also what they want to address in terms of their scheme changes. So it only makes sense for us to track that, to see how they're really moving against what was versus what is. And I think, I'm glad you called that out. And and I think, William, on this show, like we should track this on a, if not a weekly basis, then maybe every couple of weeks just sort of see where they're sort of fitting in against those key, key things. And they are key criteria to the offense. They're the things the team has spoken about. We've all banged the drum on three-point frequency. The free throw rate is starting to get more of a, more of attention than maybe it had previously. But I think that needs to be uh, something we speak about too. But transition... The free throw rate movement. thing is crazy too because... Uh, Aside from Demar and Zach, no one yeah. player on the Bulls got to the free throw line more than once mm -hmm. per game last year. And I say got there, meaning one trip to the free throw line equals two free throw attempts. Nobody else on the Bulls averaged two or more free throw attempts per game last year. So as good as Demar and Zach were, and I think this speaks to the amount that they had the ball, the amount they were scoring, the amount of usage and offensive responsibility they had, but no other player chipped in on that end at all. And I think that's another area in addition to threes in addition to the drive and kicks and things like that, that that the rest of the team really needs to get better at. But sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, I, no, no, I completely agree. So uh, the point being that I think we're focusing on the right things, certainly from an offensive standpoint. Now, the, the thing that I'll continue to beat the drum on is how does the the emphasis on these items change what you do holistically, particularly on defense? Are you giving up some defense to be better at transition? Are you giving up potentially uh or is your turnover rate going to go up as an example if you're trying to yeah. smooth uh swing the ball get into more motion get into more off ball movement uh you, you're trying to zip that ball around more if you're turning the ball over more than you have been previously the bulls have been very good at not turning the ball over but if you do potentially you're playing more transition defense how does that impact your 
uh, your, your defense overall. So like that's the thing that I'll continue to talk about throughout this season. But another thing, and again, not to, to ram this point home, but I'm of the belief that so many of these factors that we're going to be tracking throughout the season are personnel dependent, not necessarily scheme dependent. Obviously, there's a mix and influence of both, but I think it leans more heavily on personnel, like free throw rate. I don't think that is something you can change holistically just by changing your scheme. Same thing with rim, uh, rim frequency. So it's going to be a test of ideals and I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I'm happy to admit I'm wrong if I if I am proven wrong, but I, I kind of feel like this is more personnel driven, but you know, we'll find out when the real stuff starts. But there has been some interesting developments, I suppose, through two games. And again, the caveat being the caveat, which I won't talk about because we, we we made it clear at the start. But I, I think there's I think the areas that we're focusing on have been are the right ones. And I think we've seen varying degrees of success for some of these through those first two presents in games, like like three point frequency as an example. Looked really good in game one, disappeared in game two. So what are we to make of that? Yeah, and that's where the sample size issue comes in. And mm-hmm. all we can do at this point is just talk about the things that we've seen um, as it relates to what the Bulls want to do before we can really make some, you know, some wholesale, uh, you know, examinations of what they're actually doing or how they actually look on a larger trend basis. But the last thing I'll say before we get into this is, as you kind of alluded to, all of these decisions come with a trade-off, right? If you're going to go for offensive rebounds, that means you're not necessarily going to be getting back in transition defense. If you're shooting a lot of threes, maybe that means you're not uh, in a position to get back on transition defense. I think the defense is really the area where things are subject to change. And then the turnover one you mentioned, I think is a really good point. If you are moving a lot, if you're trying to pass the ball a lot, if you're making quick decisions, you are subject to turn it over a little bit more. So we're going to have to see how that looks uh, as we get more information um, as the season goes on. But I think ultimately the Bulls are either making the bet or have to live with the consequences of, yeah, maybe we sacrifice a little bit on defense. Maybe we sacrifice a little bit when it comes to turning the ball over. But at the end of the day, we were 24th, even when we were good at that stuff. So we have to try something different. I think that's really where we net out, at least right now. Um, But let's look at, for starters, the three-point frequency. Uh, Last year, 30.4% of the Bulls' shots were from three. That ranked 29th in the league, and this is for from cleaning the glass. So depending on what site you look at, it might be a little bit different. But last night... 32% 32% of their shots were three, but that was only the ninth percentile. Um, last night, uh, or I'm sorry, last year, the Bulls shot 20. Uh, they had a free throw attempt rate of 20.3, which was 20th in the league last night, 14.2, so much lower. And that was the 20th percentile, not 20th ranked, but 20th percentile. Rim frequency last year, 34.4, ranked 14th in the league. So again, above average there. I think they did a good job. Last night, 42% of their shots came at the rim. That was the 95th percentile. Excellent job getting to the rim. Offensive rebounding, and I wrote about this last night. You should go check it out. There's a lot of really good quotes from the players talking about how to offensive rebound, what are the rules, who are the go guys, who are the get back guys. A lot of really good Mm -hmm. information on that story on our site at um, allchgo.com and on my Twitter. So go find that. But last night, uh, 50 offensive rebounding rate, which is like 100 percentile, uh, outlier, excellent, never going to see that kind of number again. No. Uh, but compared to last year, 22.6, which was the 28th number in the league. So more than doubled that last night. And then transition, uh, 14.3% of their offense was in transition last year. That was 20th in the league. 
Last night, 17.7, so an uptick, but still only in the 49th percentile. Thank you, Braggs, for throwing those up. So let's start with a three-point attempt rate because I think this, well, actually, let's start with the rim frequency now that I think about it, because I think that leads to the free throw attempt rate and the three-point frequency pretty yep. well. Um, and I think you can look at it through the, through the lens of, one, are they getting to the rim? And two, how are they getting there? Yeah, I think that's all, all, all and that, talking on that point, like I was tracking the three-point frequency last night and just, just to, for the, for the same reasons we talked about before, like these are stats that we're looking at. These are things that we want to track throughout the season. And I was a little concerned with the three-point frequency last night against the, the Nuggets, but at the same time, I wasn't because it felt like there was a real emphasis to get to the rim, to, uh, you know, really attack that rim and, and to just score at will at the basket. And why wouldn't you when the Nuggets were playing small as they were? Uh, Andre Drummond was feasting at the rim, clearly didn't have a lot of rim protection on the court. So getting to the rim, a, you know, a highly efficient shot make complete sense. So in the context of last night, even though the three-point frequency wasn't great, I wasn't too concerned because to your point, like it felt like they were trying to address a certain factor which was that rim frequency. So it's, they've almost been very transparent in what they've tried to do. Like it felt like in game one that that there was an onus or an emphasis to really get up three-point shots, to get in the lane and to create three-point shots. In last night's game against the Nuggets, whereby the starters only had eight three-point attempts amongst them, uh, I think in the first half it might have been, or at least in their first stint. Again, that doesn't read well. And if you just check the box score, it's doesn't look or read very favorably but when you watch the game and understand what they're trying to do it just felt like last night billy and the, and the coaching t- uh, coaching staff really rammed home the points of the team all right we want to get to the room we want to get to the glass we want to eat inside let's really emphasize this tonight so this is the part again coming back to what we said like trying to pass through what is real what's not how do we get a balance of all of this? Like, obviously, you want to improve your three-point frequency whilst also getting to the rim, whilst doing all of these things. Now, obviously, getting to the rim and spraying it back out, that has been an emphasis for the team in terms of driving their three-point volume. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But, like, to not, uh, last night, at least, William, it felt like they really just wanted to get to the rim and try to finish at the rim, at least. Absolutely. And I think if the goal is to shoot more threes, you have to get to the rim to get there. If the goal is to get more free throw attempts, you have to get to the rim to get there. Uh, But those are all like byproducts of getting to the rim. But if you can just get to the rim and finish, like by all means do that. And and they did that at a very high rate last night. Um, So to me, it's less about like, yes, that three point number needs to go up and it does. The fact that it wasn't, especially with the starters, I think you had tweeted out the number. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, what their three-point attempt rate was with the starters yeah. relative to what it was last 28, year. 28.7%, I think it was in the first half, the, the Bulls' three-point attempt rate, which is so just terrible. Even but... even lower than what it was last year. Yeah. Um, yeah was... But again, if you are leveraging rim attempts, um, I think you'll those three-point uh, attempt rate numbers will go up um, as long well, as yeah. the emphasis is still on getting into the paint. And look, it's it's obviously a volume-based number. The more attempts you're getting at the rim, the more two-point attempts, obviously you're going to, in terms of the weighting, in terms of the balance, you're going to have more two-point shots in reference to your three-point shots in that instance. But if you're getting those two-point shots at the rim, then that's when the three-point attempt rate in that particular instance or in that example can be somewhat deceiving. So that's why I wasn't concerned about it because, okay, you weren't getting up your threes, 
but you were still getting up, you know, highly efficient shots because you were eating and feasting in the paint and eating at the rim as we saw Andre Drummond just continuously murdering the Nuggets second unit on the offensive glass. So yeah, it was one of those games where if you focus on the numbers, you look at it from a box score point of view, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's a red alarm. That's an issue that's concerning. And obviously if the trend continues and we get, a, get into a larger sample size, then it would be. But for last night's game specifically, it was fine because they were dominating in other areas. Uh, quick shout out to Sorry No Waffles with the super chat. We appreciate you, Sorry No Waffles. Shout out to Mark K and Willa Goat. Thanks for always keeping it real and providing great breakdowns. Go Bulls. Sorry, no waffles. We appreciate you, and we are happy to keep it real for you. Um, so, well, Mark, William, I'm curious. Five bucks. We could buy some waffles. We could buy so, some waffles. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, mate. Sorry, yes, waffles. Um, <laughs> we. Uh, I'm curious, though, Mark. Like, in order to get to the rim, and, and considering how the Bulls were at that last year, what did mm-hmm. you think of the way that they were getting there? Were you impressed at all with like the things that the Bulls were doing? that led them to get those rim attempts. Yeah, this is, and this comes back to my point before about like how sustainable is this? Like in game one, you weren't playing a Bucks team that was anywhere close to having their personnel, their defense isn't what it is. So getting to the rim in that game or against that squad is a different proposition. Similarly against the Nuggets who, I don't know. They can. They, they, I mean, we saw towards their back end of last season when they go in half ass, half half ass mode rather, and sort of just don't care too much about certain things. Like Joker takes on that that uh, those mannerisms, and I think the team follows from that point of view. So, like, I don't know if they were completely engaged or bought in last night to the point where their defense wasn't necessarily what it should be. So, getting to the lane against that squad is a lot easier. So, I'm always trying to catch it or balance it with that in mind. But in terms of how they notice, were getting there, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, like, did you notice anything about the way that they were getting into their drives? About the way that they were getting, um, you know, was it just in your in your eyes? Was it just like grab a rebound, Zach goes and drives, or was there? Did you see anything that was encouraging in the form of like Zach coming off a screen, pick and roll on one side with Demar and Vooch swinging it over to Zach to get downhill? Anything like that that kind of stood out? I think the benefit of starting Kobe White, and I'm still not convinced that he's should be starting. It, it's probably the best thing for Kobe White, but I'm, I'm still I still need to see more if it if it makes sense for the entire team and the balance of the team. But I think what I have liked about Kobe starting is you now have real secondary you know creation on on the opposite side of the floor, whereby you might do your your initial action with Demar and Zach. Maybe that gets an advantage. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but in the event that it doesn't and the ball swings, no longer are you swinging the ball to someone who can't necessarily create an advantage off the bounce, whereas Kobe can. So by establishing or inserting Kobe into that starting unit, you now have three guys on the perimeter that can get downhill, whereas obviously that wasn't necessarily the case last season. So I think why Kobe has been successful in getting downhill is one in part because of his improved uh, ball handling and you know the work that he's done in his own game. But the fact that you have DeMar and Vooch, you know, setting pick and rolls together or, or Zach and Vooch and they're creating that initial action, taking the the attention of the defense and when things do do swing or does swing, it, it can rotate to someone like Kobe. You have that added emphasis or that added ability to take advantage of any advantage that has been created. So I think that has certainly been noticeable. Um, 
what I have liked in terms of when they have been using Vooch is using him more on the role and sort of getting him in that short role and getting into the lane from that perspective. Um, I think that has been interesting to see. But like I spoke about before, a lot of their lane touches or paint touches or the way they've got into the rim is by getting into their offense early, getting on the defensive glass, pushing that ball and really sort of catching the defense on their back heels from, from that point of view. So I think a lot of it has been good. I think some of it is sustainable. So now just trying to work out how how sustainable all of this really is. But I have liked how easy they have gotten into the lanes. Um, but can they maintain it? That's the question. Particularly and with is the first real? unit, I think they can. But second unit, I have the questions. And just how real is that going to be when games start yeah. to matter a little bit more? But it's a great point from Demond in the comments. You get good at basketball with an offensive scheme, with everybody being a threat to score through motion, screens, constant ball movement, and a fast pace making the defense uncomfortable, guarding. Could not agree more. And I think my perspective on it last night, especially in the first half, was I like what we're seeing in terms of an off-ball screen, an early you know, dribble handoff or weave action that gets the, the Bulls the ball to Vooch, and then he can make a play, whether it's just swinging it over to the other side to get the ball to Zach for a pick and roll or for a drive. Um, I just felt like there was some, some pretty good motion on the initial action. And then... There were also times where, for example, on a couple of Vooch post-ups or um, even getting him the ball in the middle of the floor at the nail or at the top of the key, they would get him the ball there and then it would just be waiting around the perimeter. And so I think like what I liked is that they were using motion to get into their action, but once they got the ball where they wanted it, then the, the stagnation kind of started. And I feel like they're still like once you get it into Vooch, then you can run some post splits, or then you can get into some pistol action at the top of the key or other things that can just like continue to keep the defense on tilt. Um, and I think that also makes it, this is one of the things that Billy Donovan mentioned to me that's in my story from last night is like, that makes it much easier to offensive rebound. If everybody's just standing around the perimeter and it's just man-to-man -man coverage. You're easy to box out. But when there's a lot of uh, motion and guys having to like scramble or get in rotation, that's when it becomes easier to offensive rebound. Um, and Jamie, Andy uh, brings up a good point that Andre Drummond was hilarious last night. He had like six, he had six more offensive rebounds than he probably needed to um, make a layup, my man. Yes, um, yes. But also the Bulls had 26 offensive rebounds last night. And that would have been a season high last night or last uh, year by 11. Last year, they maxed out at 15 offensive rebounds in a game. Even aside from Andre Drummond's nine offensive rebounds in like 12 minutes, they still would have had a season high. And obviously it was an overtime, but they had 21 offensive rebounds in regulation. I thought they did a great job there. And as we mentioned, 50% uh, of their shots were offensive rebounded last night, which is just outrageously high. It's probably never going to happen again. But again, I think it's more about the idea that they're doing that. There's an attention to it. There's an intention behind it and that there's some execution. But we'll get into that a little bit more after our first break here because I want to tell you guys about a new sponsor, Soul Savvy. And they've been around since 2018, and their mission has always stayed the same, and that is to get sneakers into the hands of the people who love them the most. Soul Savvy is a sneaker community that operates in Canada, US, and the UK, and their model is simple. They've got three membership levels. There's a basic, uh, basic level, the Mobile Plus, and the Premium. The premium membership includes everything that you would also get in the mobile features. But the basic version, which is free, 
and it's for the casual sneaker buyer, you can gain access to their one-of-a-kind marketplace built for you, not for the resellers. The Mobile Plus option is $12, and for the sneakerhead who is always on the go, you can build a rotation of sold-out sneakers straight from your phone. For the premium model, that's going to be $33, and it's for the sneakerhead who is tired of paying resale. Find your grails and grow your collection in the world's biggest paid sneaker community. So sign up for Soul Savvy by visiting soulsavvy.com slash allcity or by downloading the Drops by Soul Savvy app. Again, soulsavvy.com slash allcity, S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y.com slash allcity or download the Drops by Soul Savvy app. I need to do that, William, because I only own two pairs of shoes. So I, I need to correct that pretty quickly. So uh, I might jump on that, uh, on that Soul Savvy app. later on. Yeah, there you go, and use that promo code. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that. But before I do, well, not maybe not not enough for me, but I've got a mate. He's heading over to New York. He's going to be running uh, the New York Marathon soon. Um, and whilst he's there, he wants to catch an NBA game. And he asked me yesterday, actually at work, do I know of any place where uh, he can grab some tickets? He he's, he wants to see the Knicks play the Spurs. He wants to see Wemby in one of his first games, our first regular season games. And I said, friend. You need to use the, the Game Time app. You need to download the thing. And when you're over there, you know, if you want to get your hands on some last minute tickets, get the best prices on said last minute tickets, then Game Time is where you do so. And uh, you know, if he can do if he can get his hands on some tickets to see Wemby uh, in Madison Square Garden, I'm gonna be extremely jealous of it. But at the same time, the fact that he can use promo code CHGO, not only will he go and see, you know, Wemby against the Knicks, he'll also get $20 off. So that is one experience, friends, where one of my mates is going to sort of be benefiting from that. But all of everyone tuning in, whether it's on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening from, you too can get your hands on this great, great offer. So just download the app, Game Time, obviously. Uh, Use promo code CHDO. And when you do, uh, you will get $20 off your first purchase. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. But once you've created an account, uh, you can redeem your code CHGO for $20 off. What a deal. What a deal indeed. Um, let's talk offensive rebounding for just a minute here, and then we can get into some lineup stuff because I know that's been a hot topic of conversation, and I think we both yes. have takes. But um, mm-hmm. offensive rebounding, yeah. We, we talked about like just how outrageously good the Bulls were at it last night, um, how that likely doesn't replicate itself on a game-to-game basis, but... You know, they're not going to lead the league in offensive rebounding, which they would have if they put up those kind of numbers. But I think it's important that they try to establish that as one of their pillars of offense. Last year, basically the four factors are offensive rebounding, effective field goal, turnover percentage, and free throw percentage. They were really good at turning the ball, not turning the ball over. They were really good at effective field goal percentage, meaning a lot of their shots went in, but they were terrible at offensive rebounding and they were terrible at... um, getting the free throw line. So offensive rebounding is one of those things that I think can generate some extra processions. Billy Donovan last night said that it can help offset some of the opponent three-point shooting just by getting extra possessions in there. Um, And I think they've kind of put an emphasis on establishing who are the go guys, who are the guys that are going to attack the offensive glass and who are the get back guys, the ones who are supposed to get back in transition. Um, And so I did some digging on that. And basically it's like, the wings and the bigs are crashing the glass and the, the point guards and the Zach and Demars are supposed to get back. Um, which I think makes sense. Like you, you don't want Zach or Demar following their shots 
every time. It's typically going to be from top of the key. And I think that leaves you vulnerable. But to me, like what I've always thought of when I think of offensive rebounding is you send your bigs and then anybody who's below the free throw line can go. So if you're in the corner, go. If you're in the dunker spot, go. But one of the things that, like I was talking to Io about it, he was like, doesn't matter where you are. If you're a go guy, you go. You go after it and you get it. Um, and if you can't, then you better get your ass back. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And it's, and it's clearly an emphasis. Tory Craig's really good at it. He was kind of telling me some tricks of the trade in terms of like going from the baseline, stepping out of bounds, getting back in bounds, doing some swim moves, getting in from the elbows. Um, he was really interesting to talk about that with. Um, but Terry Taylor was like outrageously good. I think he had five. Uh, Io came in in the start of the third quarter and had three in like three straight possessions. Um, so there's just been an attention to it. And I don't know, I think there's definitely a trade-off to be had there where you can leave yourself vulnerable getting back in transition. But um, I don't know what you think, Mark. It seems like that could be something that kind of unlocks at least one more of the four factors and puts them in a little bit better of a position to take advantage of some offense. I mean, yes. Or oh, everything you spoke about... Uh, is true. Everything Billy has said is true in terms of you. Obviously, if you get on the glass, you get more possessions. The more possessions you can have, then potentially the less possessions your or the less possessions your team will your your opponent will have rather. So, in principle, it all makes sense. But that this is where I talk about. I'm coming back to my point before around what are they what are they offsetting or what are they giving up in order to juice up their offense? And this is one area that I'm concerned about. I don't know if they should be placing the level of emphasis on offensive rebounding that they are. And I think one of the reasons why they were so good at defense last season was the fact that they limited their opponents to so many half-court possessions. Now, I guess you could argue if you get on the offensive glass, you create more possessions for yourself, you start finishing plays, um, you create dead ball scenarios for your your opponent, then maybe in tune because of that, you are still getting into the half-court because of that which I guess is true, but that that assumes you get on the offensive glass and you actually get the ball, create a position and finish on that position. Maybe I'm being a little bit too conservative on this. Maybe I have a lack of trust of this team to guard in transition and the risks that that, that, that poses. But this is one thing where I don't know if I love the idea of it. And I don't know if the personnel, if there isn't you know enough personnel to really justify this. Like, yeah, like guys like Io, Torrey Craig, some of these sort of athletic wings, if they want to fly in in the same way that Derek Jones Jr. Javante Green did last season, then cool. Maybe one of those guys can go or be go guys. But if you have two or three guys on a possession being go guys, um, and you've only got Zach and DeMar getting back in transition in those instances, I would be concerned about that. And we know someone like Vooch, who isn't the most nimble big guy going around, you can't expect him to get back and in, in be in position for defense if you were sort of running up and down and getting into more of a transition game. And he's not necessarily going to hit the offensive glass himself. So I don't know if I love the idea of this. I understand why they're wanting to improve this because it was such a weak point for them last season. But I think a part of the reason why it was a weak point was there was an emphasis to get back in defense. And in watching one of the um, all-access videos that that they had from um, training camp in, in Nashville, they had Josh Longstaff as an assistant coach for the team. Like one of the things that he was saying on that video was basically emphasizing the need to get back in transition, that they, they want to limit the amount of transition that, uh, opportunities, which I completely agree with, but then it's sort of related to this offensive rebounding piece. So how they balance that, how they manage that, 
um, is going to be interesting. This is one of the things where I think we'll f- it'll fall away as the season progresses because I think they will just sort of cut their losses and try to get onto the offensive glass when possible. But I think if the defense is losing some because of the, the, the gains that they're trying to make on offense, then I think this will probably be the first thing that goes and tips back towards the defensive end. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. Um, basically, right now, they I believe last year they were ninth in transition defense, meaning they did not allow teams to get to score against them in transition defense. But as we said, they're 28th in offensive rebounding. So maybe they're hoping to get that offensive rebounding number closer to 20 or 18 and keep that transition defense number in the 10 to 12 range. I think that's a trade-off that they're probably willing to make. Again, if things stop working, you, you need a big enough sample to understand whether it's working. But if things stop working, I think you need to be willing to adjust that. Um, same is true about lineups and rotations and who, which guys are playing together. Um, and, and we can get into that now. And I think for me, I'm not sure if you disagree with this one, but I feel strongly that lineups at this point in the season do not matter. Um, I don't care who starts. I don't even really care who finishes. Um, obviously that will change once games start to matter, but like at this point, we just need to see who plays well with who, who does well in what role with who around them. And I, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's cool to see Kobe start to ask Billy about what he likes in terms of having Kobe alongside Zach. Cause he, he's really emphasized like the pairings who plays well with each other. And so his, his thought about pairing Kobe and Zach was, well, you have two dynamic guys that can get into the lane that can shoot and you know who can play make and i think for a team that did not have pretty much any of that last year getting as many skilled players out there i mean it's like the miami dolphins like you just put a bunch of really skilled receivers out there you give them the ball and try to make them help them make plays so i think that's kind of the emphasis but again you live with this trade-off of potentially being um of losing some of the stuff that you were really good at which is on the defensive end so um Kobe has been starting, started both those games. Io started the second half with the rest of the starters, Zach DeMar, Patrick, and Vooch. Um, we have yet to see Javon Carter in with the starters. And I'll say this before I kick it over to you. Javon Carter is basically playing shooting guard on this team. Um, Billy has said a couple times that he's been co-point guarding in the second unit with Io in practices. He said that they've been mixing it up a little bit uh, behind the scenes and you know mixing and matching pairs. But I do not think that they view Javon Carter as a point guard. I think they view him as a 3 and D player. Um, I don't really trust him bringing the ball up. I don't think he's good enough as a ball handler. But obviously, he does give you the defense and the three-point shooting at a level that Kobe doesn't on a level that Io doesn't. So I think there's value in that. Uh, Drew Stevens of the Bigs asked Billy why we haven't seen that, if we were going to see that. And he said, maybe. Um, But again, he's more interested in pairings and who's playing well with who I think that's one that I'm really interested to see, but I don't think it helps you at all in the playmaking department. So all these guys give you like one or two elements. That's really interesting, but there's no one option that gives you everything. So I do think that there will be more tinkering there. I think Javon obviously is like the closest facsimile to what we saw with Patrick Beverly last year. So I think you kind of know at a certain level that that's going to work and maybe you just kind of have it in your back pocket. Um, but what have you thought about, Mark, the um, the rotations that we've seen so far? How much does it matter to you? And let's start with the starters before we get into the bench units. Well, I, I, I am of the opinion that lineups at this start of the or this stage of the season does matter. 
because of the reason you said, ironically, because you want to see who plays well together and how they pair together, how the group as a five-man unit works and functions together. So I think that's why I really focus in and, and hone in on lineups, particularly in preseason, because of all the other stuff we're talking about, like that can come and go um, throughout the regular season. It can come come and go depending on your opponent, whereas your lineups is kind of more of a fixed type thing that you see game to game to game. So I am a little surprised, to be honest with you, that we haven't seen Javon Carter more with the starters because they emphasized so much last season how good their final 23 games was, the 14-9 and nine record, once they got a Patrick Beverly in to sort of uh, go with Udemar, Zach, and Vooch lineup next to Caruso, which is why there's the, the so much emphasis that they were putting on that and how good the team was in that. And, and one of the catalysts in being that good was Patrick Beverly and having that type of point guard next to Damar and Zach, particularly. That's why I am surprised that we haven't seen Javon Carter next to these guys or with the starters because he is somewhat of a facsimile to Patrick Beverly and that lineup was so effective last season. Now they're doing whatever they're doing. They're going away from it. I completely agree. Obviously, if you have Javon Carter in there, that he's not going to be... I mean, he will be your point guard. He'll be defending point guards for you, but he's not going to be running sets for you as a point guard. Um you know, it would always lay at the hands of Zach and Damar and even Vooch in those lineups um, to to beat playmaking creators. So that is definitely something I agree with. But I, I am surprised that they haven't gone with Javon Moore with the starters in part as well because there has been an emphasis to really drive the offense through Vooch. And I think currently what's been interesting to see now once you're introducing Kobe into the starting unit, Kobe's doing some more on-ball stuff. He's uh, creating himself. I don't think they've actually used Vooch that much as a playmaker in the sense or relative to last season. Like maybe they've ticked it up like five to 10%, but I don't think there's been like this overwhelming, uh, you know, change or shift in the methodology of the offense where things are visibly very clearly running through Vooch way more than what they were last season, maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's been substantial. And I think part of that is because Kobe is in that starting unit now with, uh, Zach and Demar, and if you've got three perimeter guys who can do stuff off the bounce, who can create and get into the lanes, and, and like we spoke about before, if getting into the lane is an emphasis, and particularly off the bounce, then where does Vooch fit into this? Which is why I thought it kind of made sense for Javon to start with the starters if you're trying to emphasize the Vooch thing. So that's long a long way to say I'm surprised um, based on the what they have been saying in the off season uh, in terms of what worked for them towards the close of last season, but in the, the part around playing more through Vooch. Uh, what we've seen in preseason through two games, at least with uh, Kobe going in there as a starter, like it kind of is opposite to that, I guess, which is fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just doesn't necessarily track with what has been said. Yeah, I think that's the biggest area of all the ones we've talked about so far that the Bulls have not really lived up to what they're, what they've been emphasizing. Like, even though, as we mentioned, the threes weren't really there last night, you could see how they would generate more easy threes based on the way that they were playing, right? Uh, they obviously got to the offensive rebounding. They obviously got to the rim. Um, and I think, again, you may not have seen free throws in the way that you'd want, but you saw how they might generate easy free throw attempts based on the drives and getting into the paint. Um, I do not think Vooch is being utilized in the way that they talked about the way that he and I talked about and the way that Billy talked about. Um, I just, and I don't know if you can really put a finger on why it is. I think like Toby's a good facilitator. And I think what's interesting 
with the way that their offense is looking right now is that a lot of it is just the same stuff that they would have run last year with Zach or DeMar, but it's just Kobe running it while Zach and DeMar are standing on the perimeter. Like it doesn't really feel all that different to me. It just feels like a different guy's doing it. And I don't think Kobe is like markedly worse than Zach or DeMar as a play initiator. Um, not obviously not as like a scorer or even a passer, but like as somebody who can like get the team into their offense. Um, and yet we still haven't really seen Vooch be, you know, he had his little uh, baseline jumper out of an empty side pick and roll with Zach. He got into the middle of the floor and made a couple of nice passes out of short roll. Like that, we saw that all, all that last year. We saw him yeah. facilitate yeah. and score out of the post. Like none of it's really new or different or even mm-hmm. like happening more frequently. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Io or Javon make that happen any more easily. But I do think that Javon gives you an opportunity to not have the ball, obviously, in Kobe's hands, have Javon spacing the floor out. And then obviously, just by like process of elimination, you put Vooch, you give more of an opportunity for Vooch to have the ball. That allows you to have more spacing around him. It allows you to get him uh, into positions where he can make plays for other guys. So I think that's been a source of like disappointment, but just like a, a note of mine that we haven't really seen um, in an area where, you know, I think we hoped or wanted them to, to operate. Yeah. It's, it's like, again, like it's, it's fascinating how this is all playing out. And, and, and again, I don't think it's, there's a wrong or right to this. It's just, you know, how you weight that against what has been said and, and how it's all going to materialize. Cause, and, and this coming back to my point, like, I think, and the reason why I want to see Kobe come off the bench still is because I, I have concerns about the the second unit and the way the lineups have been run with that second unit, particularly how, how it's been this all defense focused kind of thing with the second unit. I think that can be potentially problematic. Now, having said that, I enjoyed the fact that Zach went into that second unit rather than Pat. I don't think we're going to see Pat going, being staggered into the second unit as the lone starter. I think they tried it in game one, realized that this is an absolute mitigated disaster waiting to happen. We need to have one of Kobe, DeMar, and Zach, or potentially even two of them out there with that second unit for offensive reasons. So I like that Zach went into that second unit. But like for the reasons that I mentioned before around wanting to test Vooch more with that and he's playmaking that first unit. That's why I just wonder if there's better balance with Kobe coming off the bench, but is that the right thing for Kobe? It's an interesting debate, but um, this is something, again, we talked about how we're going to track all the numbers, doing all that sort of things, but I don't know if there's maybe specific numbers can that can point to this, but this is a certainly a storyline or a narrative that I definitely want to track throughout the series, uh, sorry, the season as to how you balance an offense when you have now three on-ball guys in addition with a playmaking center who you've said you want to run more offense through. It's just, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how Billy manages that. I don't know. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how fans react to that because I think certain fans want to see the ball in Vooch's hands more whilst others want to see the, the, the ball in Kobe and Pat's hands more. And we'll talk about Pat and the younger guys a little bit later, but you can't do all of these things at the one time whilst maintain, whilst DeMar and, 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 and Zach maintaining a high-level usage. There's just not that many opportunities or not enough possession to do it all. So what is going to need to give? I don't think it's feasible or reasonable to say, hey, Zach, hey, Demar, get off the ball more. We don't want you, ne- we don't want you having as high a usage because 
that's why you pay these guys because they're incredible offensive players. So who else is going to sacrifice? What else is going to give? And it's just going to be an interesting push-pull battle. Absolutely. Um, I don't think all this stuff is going to materialize overnight. I do think that they are trying to emphasize the right things and they want to do uh, the things that they've talked about, but it's going to take time, especially when you've got guys that are ball dominant. But I'm glad you brought up some of the younger players because I want to get into them and how uh, what is their role in all this? How are they developing? How are they going to be primed to develop when they have to play alongside all these guys? Uh, but first, going to tell you guys about some sponsors, and we'll start obviously with ourselves because it's 6:20 p.m. on a Friday in Chicago, and we've got a bunch of people hanging out with us in the comments. So I'm just going to assume all of you guys love us and love what we do here at CHGO. And if you love us and what we do here at CHGO, then you should consider becoming a diehard, a diehard member of our team and our family here. And you can do so by going to allchgo.com and clicking the big banner that says become a diehard. And what is a diehard? What does that mean? What does it mean to become a diehard? That means you are joining our crew. That means in addition to our podcasts and our live shows and all of our writing, you get premium written content for members only. You get 20% off all the events that we hold. We're doing a Bears tailgate this weekend. And we're doing three more of them, including this one. X-Golf will be giving away a $200 gift certificate to any of their Chicagoland locations. And you can come to our events and sign up for those. You also get some dope, dope merch from the Merch Locker. And you get a free t-shirt when you become a member. And of course, you get to join the Members Only Discord, where Marquet is pulling out uh, clips and screenshots and keeping receipts and I need to do a better job of being in the Discord because I'm not good at remembering to do it. But if you join as a diehard, I will do my best to do that. So go to allchgo.com, click on Become a Diehard, and consider joining our family to support who we are and what we do. And we will really appreciate you for it. Yeah, I'm a man of the people. I'm in it, I'm in it in the thick of it there with our friends in Discord. Just uh just 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 a man of the people talking bulls I'm with so everyone. bad at Discord. I feel bad, but I it's just not in my normal rotation, but I got to do better. I mean, that's the way you're selling it, but we all know you're big timing, everyone. We we get it. We understand you're a big, important beat writer. We get it. But do you know who else is big and important but makes time for everyone? Unlike Will Gottlieb. It's Ray. Wow. Ray Chevy. Wow. <laughs> I needed a segue. I went with that. That was, so that was a mean one. <laughs> If you happen to be in the market, William, for a new or a used cars, a new or a used vehicle, whether it's you, whether it's our friends in Discord, my friends in Discord, not Will's, maybe they need a new or used vehicle. Well, I'm hoping they're heading over to Ray Chevy in Fox Lake, who has joined the CHGO team. And if you're not friends, then head down there. Why wouldn't you? Because Ray and his team have a pledge, and they've called it the Ray Price promise where they guarantee you the price that you see online is the price you pay. Other dealers might be screwing you around saying it's going to be X amount, but when you get there and read the terms and conditions or you know they throw in this slightly doing the car salesman thing where they say, actually, it's uh, you know, I have to add an extra 2K here or if you want this, it's an extra 3K here and suddenly X turns to Y, not at Ray. The price you see is the price you pay. So friends, if you happen to be in the Fox Lake area 
or maybe you're not, but you want to head down there because you know you're going to score the best deal, then get down there, support our mate uh, Ray at Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake, who will sort you out with that Ray's price promise. Visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or go to rayschevrolet.com. They've been serving the community since 1963. They're going to maintain and continue serving the community for a very long time with all this Ray price, uh, with all the promises that Ray has for us from a price point of view. So support Ray, support CHGO, and friends, when you do, you will find new roads. When you're driving around in that new car that you just got from Ray Chevy, you should be wearing the freshest gear around. And you can get that at Pins and Aces. It's the official golf apparel partner of All City and CHGO. And we love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons of compliments on it on and off the golf course. And especially when we're riding around in our Ray Chevy vehicle, they're our favorite family-owned golf apparel business because they make amazing polos. They make amazing hats, golf bags, and even our favorite, the Matt Pack Special, the Beer Sleeve an innovative product that allows you to hold seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep those drinks frosty cold for the entire round. That's six in a row. So if you want to check out pinsandaces.com and use promo code CHGO, you will get 15% off your first order and free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com promo code CHGO to get 15% off your first order with free shipping. All right. Last few minutes before we roll on out of here into our weekend Let's talk about some of the young guys. Um, Patrick is is probably where we should start. Uh, what have you thought about the way that he looked? What have you thought about the way, the opportunities that he's had and sort of how that can lead to his future success or not? <sighs> and I mean, who remember we have, we have six minutes to talk about Patrick, so. <laughs> well, I just I think we just need to establish right now, here and now, who who we're going to blame for holding Patrick Williams back in year four. Is it now Kobe White? Is it Kobe White's fault it's, that Patrick it's always Williams can't Vooch. It's always Vooch. <laughs> it's not when in doubt, you, you blame Vooch on I, that's what I do. I'm just and I know you hate that. So I just thought I'd let you yeah. know just to irritate you a little more today. Anytime yeah, something you know goes wrong with the Bulls. Me? I will go is me interrupting you the yeah. is anytime <laughs> me interrupting you and anytime the bulls do anything I don't like I go on the timeline and blame Vooch now I'll go back in my hole thank, thank you thank you I, I like how Will was emphasizing much. we only have five six minutes left what, what, what I was you, about to go on a spiel what do you think and then Bryce jumps in now what do you think I'm just gonna end the stream right at one hour take your time you're good well I've got a I've got a hard stop you didn't consider that Braggs jeez Typical meathead blaming Vooch for everything. That that's that's you know typical Bears fan. I will say, you don't take basketball opinions from a, a football fan. That's my my main mantra in life. But coming back to what I was going to say, and I was being facetious. I was being a douchebag. So it probably didn't matter that Braggs interrupted me anyway. But you've I now think taken what, up more again, time than what he took. Away, so. <laughs> I, I I am. But coming back to what we were talking about before around the whole Kobe and Vooch dynamic, how you've introduced another on-ball guy who can do stuff in the starting unit who maybe is going to take possessions away from Vooch or Zach or Demar, whomever else it will be. What this also, you know, a side effect or a byproduct to all this is for those of you who are clamoring for Pat to do more stuff on-ball, to get more opportunities, to do all those, all those sorts of things, to increase his volume, 
I have no idea how that is going to happen if he's in the starting unit next to Kobe, Zach, Fuchs, and Damar. Like, I so I think the, the ironic thing is where I've always been, um, you know, pushing back against the thought process about Pat being held back in some instances. I think this is now one credible time where you could say, I'm not expecting him to go out there and put up points or get many opportunities because he firmly is the fifth guy in that starting unit. And the fifth guy in that starting unit is always going to be an afterthought. Now, where it gets interesting is where, again, coming back to what we're talking about, like what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize Kobe's development or Vuce's creation? Do you prioritize Kobe? uh, Sorry, Pat in that? Like how does it all play out together? They're trying to achieve so many different parallels at the same time that I don't think they can. So someone ultimately is going to miss out. And I think that right now is going to be Pat. I haven't liked what I've seen through two games to the point where I'm even wondering if he should even be starting. Certainly didn't play well enough last preseason to justify his starting role. Javante Green outplayed him last season. That didn't matter. Pat still got the start. Hasn't been great through two preseason games. Was okay against the Bucs. Pretty good against the Bucs, I'll say, but non-existent against the Nuggets. And I'm just wondering, William, like, should he even be starting for his own sake at this point if you really want to feed opportunities through him? Yeah, I just, it's one of those things where sometimes I'm on the, like, you need to create a space for Patrick to really stretch out his game. And sometimes I am feeling, and I think at this very moment, this is how I'm feeling, which is like, a lot of people last year were like clamoring for more Dalen Terry minutes, right? Like, give me more Dalen. He has energy. The Bulls need some some flair. I think we'll be doing that this year. <laughs> and and it's like, well, maybe Billy's just not playing him because he's not good enough to play. And sometimes I feel that's how I feel about Patrick. Like, he, Billy's not, you know, putting him in positions where he can dominate the ball because he's just not good enough to do that. And mm-hmm. I I really want to see Patrick succeed. Um, I really like him. I like him as a player. I like the skill set that he has. And I think more importantly than anything else, like he's the the linchpin that can make this team better, right? That that can raise the current floor and ceiling of this group. So I really want him to succeed, but sometimes it just feels like he's not going to be able to do that with the starters. And then he has games where he's playing with the bench unit and it still doesn't look like he can make that kind of impact. It still doesn't feel like he has that sort of creation, that shake, that wiggle, that um, burst to be able to like score and get all the way downhill. Like I've heard him and Billy talk so much about him not settling for jump shots, attacking closeouts and getting all the way downhill and not pulling up at the elbow. And it's like, that's all we see um, in transition, even uh, not, not going all the way to the basket. So I think he still has a lot of room to grow. I think he has not really wowed me very much in this preseason so far and it's a shame because like i said i really want to see him succeed but uh i think when you are pushed down the pecking order in the starting rotation and then you're given an opportunity to be pushed up the pecking order of the second unit and you still don't take advantage that's not a great sign so i still think patrick is a very good role player the three-point shooting the defense like he gives you a lot of stuff but i don't think he's at a point right now where he's shown me or, or proven or even like demanded to me that he has the scoring upside that deserves to put the ball in his hand. So I'm not saying that we should throw that out. Uh, Billy certainly wouldn't feel that way. Like we want to see what he can do. You need more of a sample and you need to let him grow into it, right? It's not going to just click all of a sudden, 
but it's been a rough start. And I think you can say the same thing about Dalen Terry when he's had minutes and still struggled. Um, it's still the same question marks and issues that we saw in preseason that we saw last year. We saw in summer league where yes, he can throw some nice passes. Yes. He defends like his love his activity, but if you can't handle the ball, you can't shoot the ball. You're not being defended. You can't get downhill. It's just very difficult to make an impact. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, again, you never want to put a ceiling or a cap on what these guys can do. And I think they are still young and will get better. But right now, I've not been super encouraged with the way that they're playing. What have you thought about Julian Phillips real quick? Because he's been the other one that has been um, kind of involved as, he, as one of the younger players so far. Well, I don't love the Bulls back of the bench. The last four or five guys on the roster concern me in terms of the the main, you know, the the, the big boy team, let's say. But of the, of that group of players, Dalen Terry, Carlick Jones, um, Terry Taylor, Julian Phillips, he's the one that has probably stood out the most to the point where, again, the theme of this podcast is being like, what is real, what isn't. He's looked good in the minutes that he has played in like against second and third strings. It would be interesting to see what he would look like against actual bench units, like against actual second units. Now, does is there scope for that to happen? Can can we see that in preseason? I, I don't know. The Bulls have a pretty tight nine to 10, 10 man rotation up top and establishing the, the rhythms of that rotation is probably more critical than seeing what Julian Phillips looks uh, as a member of that second, second unit. So I think he's destined to be a third unit guy, but what I have seen, I've liked. Uh, you, you had a clip of his three-point shot the other day uh, in practice before game or you know, getting up shots before the game. It looked good. It looked like they ha- he had a nice rhythm to him. That dunk that he had was absolutely filthy. Clearly he has uh, you know, athletic hops or an athletic ability that virtually no one else on this team has. So there is reasons as to why he is appealing and why we want to see more of him, but I just don't know if there's scope for him to play. But what I have seen from him has looked good. I just... Yeah, how relevant is that, I guess, against actual units, not necessarily third units? That's the question. Yeah, we'll see some more. I think the game is is still moving really fast for him. It's clear that he is a very young player um, and will need some more experience. But he is he's like a true 6'9". Like he's a big guy, very, very slender, very skinny, but obviously incredible pop, incredible athleticism. Um, And, you know, people are like concerned about whether his feet should be like three inches closer together on his jump shot. I I think it's looking pretty good. Um, He's not going to be like a 40% knockdown guy right now, but I think the basis is there. And like I said, last night on the show, like Peter Patton has been watching Julian Phillips, Dalen, uh, Ayo, all these guys like a hawk and every single shoot around that I've been at. So there's clear emphasis on trying to improve and work with those shooting coaches to try to get better because quite frankly, like, if, if the Bulls players just start to take and make more threes, that could be a massive thing that sort of uh, lifts all this other stuff up that, you know, might make all this other stuff not matter as much if they're just taking and making more threes when, they, when we had them. Alex Crusoe last night said like, you know, he, I think he went four for six on threes. He was like, honestly, like it's selfish of me to not shoot when I'm open and I have the ball. Cause then we have to reset the offense. Like they just need to have a mentality of shooting threes when they have them. And I think, uh, Julian Phillips looks like he has the basis to be uh, a fine three-point shooter. And I think if you've got all this other stuff, that can be really powerful in, into growing yep. um, growing into the player that hopefully becomes a meaningful factor in this rotation. So um, that's probably, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 deep on the roster. 
Um, did not play some of the other guys last night that we saw in the first game. I think the rotation will continue to shrink. I believe the Bulls waived Henry Drell and uh, Max Heidegger today. Uh, so the rotation is getting a little bit smaller and we will see how that continues to transpire uh, over the coming days, over the coming weeks. Um, but that I think we'll, we'll call it a show. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday for post game. Uh, another one against the Nuggets this time in Denver. It's an 8 p.m. tip, so we're going to be a little bit later. Uh, there, I don't think there will be a pregame, but check our Twitter account. We will have that posted. Um, any other thoughts here before we sign out for the day, Mark? No, I think I've... Oh, look, I have many thoughts, but uh, we, we, we've hit the time barrier. Unfortunately, Braggs jumped into the into the podcast and really took up our time, so I can't actually add any more thoughts. So let's just close it. Um, Blaine Braggs instead of which is my uh, last... Uh, you know, final takeaway. Had to end it on a positive note. Um, well, that'll <laughs> do it for us. Uh, like I said, we'll be back Sunday. Thank you, everyone, for joining and listening. Thank you, Mark, for taking time out of your Saturday. Follow him on Twitter at MK Hoops. Um, Will uh, underscore Gottlieb. Braggs, what's your Twitter account? Come tell the people where they can follow you. Braggs in the stands. They don't want to follow me. Mark will tell no. you. I mean, unless you want to see a, a bunch of really good selfies, follow, <laughs> follow me at, at G Braggs Jr. 23. I was just I was just gonna G say, I've never Braggs seen Jr. 23. a guy take more selfies in their life than Greg hey, Braggs. Man. There's well, there's gotta, no one gotta, else out there hey, popping more. You gotta more, give more the people stuff. what they want, Mark, and they want the selfies. Do they really want that? What they really want is for this show to be over. So let's call it a day. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next time. Brags. We all silly like the mayor. 